Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, our special guest is Rodney Penico, Soybean Research Team Leader for Stein. Welcome to the show, Rodney. Thanks, David. Thanks for inviting me to uh, be a part of this. So, Rodney's been a key figure in Stein's soybean breeding efforts for almost three decades now, and he, uh, he learned from the very best, from Harry Stein and Bill Eby. So today he's here to discuss our research program and our research operations taking place in South America. So let's get started. Well, so Rodney, starting out, I always like to, to get a little bit of background. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, and your, your history leading up to Stein. Well, David, uh, I grew up in Perry, Iowa, just a small town, about 15 miles north of our main corporate office. And uh, I lived in the city, but my grandparents had farms, so I participated in a little activity throughout those years. So agriculture kind of was in my blood at a young age. Uh, I've always loved spending time outside with friends and family. Anything I can do to entertain uh, myself on the outside is always uh, part of what I like to do. So then at that point, I'm trying to remember, you. I know you've been with Stein, like I said, a long time, longer than I have, but you, did you work for Stein in high school? I didn't work for uh, Stein in high school. I worked for a couple farmers doing work in the summertime, but I started with Stein in uh 1986, right when I graduated high school. All right. And in those days, so you uh, did you come right in with the Soybean Research Group with Bill Eby? Well, I, I did in, in one way or another. Um, our research program was kind of all one entity at that time. Sure. Uh, Bill was one of the, the head people that I worked for at the time. I also worked, you know, with the corn research and and the farm, uh, a lot of different projects that we had until we got big enough to be more independent entities. Yeah. So in those days, I'm sure it was more of a all hands on deck kind of approach because it was a lot smaller. And so you kind of got roped into all kinds of different things, I would imagine. Yeah. So uh, anything that needed to be done, you know, the large group that we had uh, involved, uh, we participated in all aspects of the whole Stein program, breeding and anything else that uh, went along with our company. What are um, any... You know, what do you think of, what are memories of those earliest days? You know, like you said, you didn't grow up on a farm. So coming in, curious as to what your thoughts were in those earliest days of working with Stein. Well, it was uh, very interesting. It was kind of a new uh, technology that I've never been involved with. I was willing to learn. And that's kind of what's helped me along the way with uh, Harry and Bill, you know, taking taking me under their wing and, and teach me exactly what they wanted the program to be and how to uh, emphasize it and make it grow to the potential that we have seen over the last several years. So thinking about that, I mean, what are, um, are there things about the program, even from the early stages that, 
you think still are totally true today that haven't changed? Well, one thing is our motto is, you know, work hard. We put in a lot of time, a lot of hours. The emphasis is having a very good product at the end of the season. Uh, So dedication to making sure that you can do the best you can and be proud at the end of the day that uh, we did a lot of stuff. And and so then, yet at the same time, I'm sure the organization looks markedly different than it did in those earliest days or the things about it that just kind of you look back and go, man, I can't believe where we've, how far we've come. Yeah, if you kind of look at the landscape of, of our operation, uh, you know, we started off with our whole research operation in one building back when I started to the growth that's taken place uh, in our research programs, how we've expanded, added new satellite research stations, and uh, been able to grow in a lot of different areas and advance our program to the extent that it is today. And it's, you know, proud to be the the largest in the nation on being uh, privately owned. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool to think that from those humble beginnings, you know, I mean, you and your team, everybody that's there from you to Doug Beavers, Ryan Main, and all those folks put in so many years. It's got to feel like a sense of accomplishment to be kind of the tip of the spear of, you know, the development of soybean genetics over the last 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, when you look back at, uh, you know, kind of one of the beginning points, of course, it started before I was there, but the amount of growth that's taken place since I have been there, looking back at the very early days to what we've accomplished today is uh, very rewarding and putting out some top-line genetics. So you you mentioned growth and you mentioned expansion, and that's kind of why we're here today. I wanted to talk to you about one particular aspect of the soybean research program, and that's off-season production as it relates to research. You know, you've been involved with winter nurseries that we've had. You've been involved in, you know, contra-season production. I guess starting out, like, in your estimation, how long have we been doing contra-season production in South America? Well, 1996, uh, we started uh, in in Argentina with a company uh, called Don Mario. We went there with the intentions if we could advance our winter nursery to higher levels than what we had before. After that initial uh, year that we were there, we were very impressed with what we were able to do, and we continued growing on that by sending the exact same planters, the exact same combines, and then training personnel at Don Mario to do the research exactly the way we do it here in the U.S. So everything can be related very easily back and forth, and it turned out to be very successful. Yeah, so so what you're saying, in those days, you had a co- this company, Don Mario, you collaborated with down there. They kind of conducted the research down there on behalf, but you had enough alignment that the data and everything lined up with what we were doing here in the U.S. Exactly. You know, we we started off with, uh, you know, a small a smaller program, make sure it, it was going to be uh, successful on turning the generations uh, and getting stuff back to the U.S. in a timely manner. So it was a real growing experience. The teaching part on our method that we've always been taught, and that goes back to what Harry and Bill Eby both expected us to be very, very efficient and on a timely manner to be able to plant a winter nursery, get it harvested, get it back here so we can actually plant it on time 
and uh, work two different locations uh, in one given year. So main goal was to teach them, you know, quote unquote, the Stein way, right? How to how to get how to get done what we need to get done and do it quickly. That's exactly right, and that and that came from being there, working with them in our season up here in the spring and summer. That group would come up to our facility, learn more of exactly how we perform our day to day tactics, and then return back to Argentina for our winter nursery and take that knowledge and uh, make it very successful. So, you know, I came to Stein in 1998, so just a few years after you started doing this uh, off-season production. But I've heard people talk about the days before, and, and, and I guess I'm curious, do you recall what some of the major maybe challenges might have been when you moved toward, because there was this phase, obviously, where, you know, you were doing one one season a year, right? So you, you do production here, research here, you grow it, you harvest it in the fall, and you've got all winter to kind of go over the numbers and decide what you're going to advance. Well, now all of a sudden, I would assume you're in a system where, you know, like we are today, where you're harvesting it now, but you have a quick turn to turn around and get that down there. And I would assume that in those earliest days, there were some challenges around that and how to get that done in a timely fashion, or, or did it go a lot smoother than I expected? Well, it, it was a learning curve, as you would expect. You know, once we got into the November, December, January months, we were making our selections for the seed that we had just harvested. It was kind of a little bit of a slower period during that time uh, because we, you know, we had until February, March to start ramping things up to uh, get the yield trials uh, prepared to do that all over again. Well, as we started South America, it's one season ending, as in the U.S. and the South America season starting. Uh, so it's a rapid return. You got to start making selections right away. You got to be ready to ship, have your logistics in place. Once you get into the first week or so of November, you got to have seed moving. You got to get it planted. And our goal is, is to have majority of everything planted by December 1. And that's a timely date just to make sure we can get the harvest started at the end of February and have it here ready for us to plant again the 1st of April. So there's a lot of things that's taken place as far as the movement of seed and being able to coordinate and get shipments back and forth very quickly uh, for the processes to uh, take place. Yeah, because depending on the situation, it's a real planes, trains, and automobiles kind of situation. You've got a lot of different modes of transport. You've got timing, you've got phytosanitary certificates that have to be done, a lot of things. And uh, so I would assume over the years, the team has developed a pretty good knack for for that shipping process, and they've they've got it dialed down. Now, nothing predicts the future, so you don't know. You'll, I'm sure there's always hiccups that arise along the way. That's correct. I mean, you always got to be two months ahead of, of what's going to happen next, and that's exactly how we operate is we're always thinking down the road what needs to be done uh, because those days come fairly quick once you get started. So uh, working with our logistics coordination team uh, that moves the seed for us by air so we can transport quickly, having a relation and our paperwork's lined up with customs. So when our seed lands in Argentina, it doesn't get held up. It's checked off that we did everything correctly and it moves straight to the farm. The planters are ready to go. The fields have already been laid out. Make the seed goes to the warehouse. It loads, loads it up in the vehicles and uh, get it to the field and start planting. So 
Uh, you got to do things very rapidly and do the you know best you can to uh, make this work. So you're packaging the seed in basically in range row order, boxed and packaged and shrink wrapped. So when it arrives on the location, as long as they've got the right map, they should be ready to rock and roll. That's right. You know, we we do all the processing uh, at our main facility here. It's already ready to go. You're right. It's range road. It's set up in boxes. It's ready to go to the field to plant. So by the time we decide how much we can get out every given week, uh, you know, we ship seed on Thursdays. It flies over the weekend. It starts to head to the farm uh, Monday or Tuesday of that next week. During that time, whatever made that shipment, a summary is uh, set up and sent to them is like, this is what's coming. So they plan ahead. So when the stuff arrives uh, at their facility, they know what's there. They already know where it's going to go to be planted. Well, like I said, it sounds like a well-oiled machine. I'm sure there are hiccups along the way, but that's pretty exciting. So just kind of review what parts of South America do you and your team do research work in? We have a Argentina facility and Brazil. So we, we've uh, grown tremendously uh, over the years. We started in uh, our own facility in Argentina in, in what we, a town called Venado Tordo. Very good soils. It's high yielding. So it's been a very good location. Uh, we also have our station in, in Brazil that does the exact same work so we can launch brand new lines that are orchestrated in the country to release uh, for our Stein brand. And, that, and and that's a point I wanted to touch on. So we talked earlier about the early days of your program and working with collaborating with companies who are already on the ground there in South America. But as you just alluded to, so recently you guys formed your own entity down there. So you have Stein people on the ground doing research in, in those countries. That's correct. In 2020, we broke off from the Don Mario station that we'd been working with, started our own research stations. We have been very successful on the growth, hiring our own people, and training exactly the same way we did the training in, in our facility at, at Don Mario to get them up to speed with them coming here to the U.S., us being down there in, uh, in South America and learning our methods that we got. And it's... Uh, been very successful at what we've been able to do in a short amount of time in building our research program at the same time as the launch of our Stein brand at the same at at the same time. So yeah, and, and and so the nice thing is you've been already on the ground there for a number of years again collaboratively, but now having our own people and then adding to that the fact that you have people from the U.S. who go down there to in season to monitor progress and work on uh, different things down there. So I, I guess talk to me a little bit about that collaboration between the U.S. group and the South America group. And, and like I said, I know you travel back and forth. Give me a feel for, for what, you know, what that looks like, the, how many people and kind of what that looks like. Well, you know, we, we have grown it slowly over the last four years, but we've made it very successful in the amount of stuff that we've been able to do, you know, so you know, we've, we've been able to train, you know, in the neighborhood of 30, 30 plus people with our entity just in Argentina alone. Uh, that's been able to keep up with the growth of our operation and also the growing of the South America research 
that's uh, providing for our Stein brand at the same time. So running a U.S. research and they're doing a South America research at the same time. So uh, we're growing them both fairly, fairly steady. Well, and, and the nice thing is, you know, I think what's kind of fun for us on the retail side to remember is I think here in the last year or so, we had our first soybean product show up in our U.S. catalog that had began its life as a South America project. And so there's a nice convergence there where the two programs can really kind of complement each other. And I think that's where you start to see some, you know, for a U.S. grower says, well, what's in it for me? There's the dividend. We might have products that are, you know, derived out of the South America program that find their home here in the U.S. as well, which is kind of cool. Talking about, uh, again, for those who've not been to those parts of South America, describe a little bit about the land and the, you know, kind of kind of the lay of the land. Uh, what does it look like? What's it farm like? Stuff like that. You know, we're very we're very impressed with the quality of soil that we have to work with. It's it's good black soil. It yields very very high. We've been very impressed on what we've been able to do in South America, for the fact that like the latitude is similar to like Tennessee. So you look at what we have in the U.S. and the maturity groups that we grow in the far south of the U.S., but in what we've been able to do in Argentina is we grow our whole research maturity group program in one area. So we're growing our group zeros and our through our group sixes in the same area of land. And we've been very impressed by the early groups on the high yield that we've been able to achieve or how they've performed and figuring that the maturity group that's typically grown there by farmers is, you know, group four through sixes. So uh, we, we, we were able to do our whole program for the earliest stuff we, that we develop, clear through our latest stuff in one area and get the high yields. Uh, it's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, no kidding. So in terms of soil and stuff like that, it's, it's sounds like it's at least comparable to what we have across a lot of the United States. So that should translate well. Are there are there aspects about working research in South America that maybe are a little different than they are here in the U.S.? You know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of differences uh, as far as what we're able to do. They farm very similar to what we do here in the U.S., so the practices that are involved in, in their farming is they put on their inputs correctly. Uh, they're, they're trying to maximize top yield on a year-to-year basis, and they've been very successful. And, it, you know, the knowledge that we've been able to transform to South America through our entities, I think, have helped them grow in a lot of different ways to achieve high yields. And then by extension, we would assume then that since it's since it looks like it's translating, the work that we do there likely has benefit to growers here in the U.S. because if you have high yield there, it's most likely going to do well back here. Exactly. And, you know, we, we do a lot of increased work on our varieties, but where, you know, we do extensive yield trials with that material here in the U.S. So for on the U.S. side, the data that we are collecting from those varieties that are 
coming back from our winter nursery are done on U.S. soil. So when we're calculating data to release to the uh, U.S. market, it's from U.S. data and the high yield is is translated from the U.S. Uh, yield trial plots. And that brings me to another point I was going to ask you about. So in terms of the soybean research group working down in South America, what are the what are the different aspects of the, because obviously there are different facets to what you do in soybean research. What facets of that are currently happening? I mean, are you crossing beans? Are you just doing increases? You know, what are the different parts that are happening down there in any given year? We are doing the exact same breeding process as as we do here. They're doing the crossing. We're raising the bulks. We're doing every step of the process of development of soybeans in South America. So we use it for winter crossing block for U.S. seed, but also they're also making crosses for the South America program. So we're doing our winter nursery there, and they're also doing their development. But in, in the opposite side of that, what they're doing in South America, we are doing their winter winter nursery in the U.S. So we're being their winter nursery for the South American programs as if as they are for us, for the U.S. program. So it's working pretty well on them being able to advance their program by using the U.S. Uh, in their winter time. Uh, so the programs are step so uh, perfectly the same. They're just mirror programs, just six months apart, basically. That's very, very <laughs> correct. So we talked at the outset, you travel there from time to time, uh, I assume several times a year. I think you just recently got back. When when were you there last? You know, I was there uh, uh, December 11th. So the planting started, you know, roughly three weeks before I showed up. And uh, it's a very good start to the year. And again, I should be able to do the math in my head, but six months, you know, translating, if they plant in mid-November, is that, that's typical planting time for there, or is it? Yeah, so that's, you know, that's first part of April. It'd be like first them. part of April. Exactly. Yeah, okay, for us, here here on the U.S. Okay, so I guess when you were there, I mean, I mean, obviously, South America is a huge area, and at various times I hear reports of, you know, good weather, I hear reports of bad weather, at least in the areas that you were, what was the outlook at that time when you were there? Well, it was very different this year from what the landscape looked like a year ago with uh, with the drought. But this year, uh, I was very impressed with all the fields and all the research that I looked at. Uh, we had very good stand, great emergence. Things were growing very well. We had some rain while I was there. And in the last three weeks, we've received some more timely rain. So we're set up to have a a great crop, especially in the areas that we're uh, participating in. Yeah. So in the areas, at least that you're operating, weather outlook is good and the crop outlook should be be fairly good. Yeah. I think we're looking uh, like we should have a very high yielding uh, harvest. So looking ahead a little bit, we talked about moving into, you know, kind of what the planting season it looks like in South America. As it relates to us here in the U.S., you're probably already thinking about bringing this crop back. But when does that process really kind of start in earnest? When are you, when are you really starting to get underway with trying to get that crop from South America and get that back here to the U.S.? Well, around, around the 20th of February, the Group Zeros will be maturing in South America. So that'll be the start of the harvest portion of it. But 
over the last three weeks, we've been putting together our forecast for where all the seed's going to go, the packaging process that's going to take place when the seed does arrive back here in the U.S. for all the yield trial locations. So the setup part for 2024 U.S. trials started, and it's going to be rapidly advancing over the next few weeks. Your first products will probably be coming back in the, you know, what we would call here in the U.S. in the early part of the spring. Is that probably fair to say? Yeah, yep. The, the early groups will start showing up the first 10 days of March, and then it progresses clear through yeah, through April to get the, the latest maturity groups harvested and back. So every week, it's logistics that we have set up, the same as when we're sending seed down. Seed ships uh, usually two times a week when we get high volumes of stuff harvested. So we'll usually ship down there on a Tuesday and a Thursday and, and have stuff headed by airplane to uh, Miami and then it trucks from Miami back to our facility. So we'll start getting high volumes of seed. It'll start rolling in first part of March. And then it's just catch as catch can and get it turned around and cleaned up and get it in the ground here. Yeah, it's the uh, next trial. It's very repetitive on uh, on how quick the turnaround needs to be because you know you got to have a timely uh, planning date here, and uh, we make it work. Yeah. So looking at what we now have here in the South American, you know, research program that that you and and Bill and Harry and everybody have built. I mean. What are the parts about that that excites you the most about what you guys are able to do with with where the program is now? Well, you know, what's exciting is the volume of materials that we handle every year. It's uh, amazing we're able to do the volumes that we have in our program and successfully bring many new varieties to the market every year. So we've uh, challenged ourselves on a year-to-year basis to see how much we can do, how much more we can do next year, make sure that, you know, we continue to be the genetic leader in the in, in the marketplace. Uh, looking ahead, what do you think is in store for for you for the South America program? Kind of continue as, as is and continue to grow the program or other thoughts or ideas of the things that are on the horizon? Well, I mean, the growth of the program uh, definitely gets a little bit bigger every year. That's our goal is to always do just a little bit more uh, every year and, and the benefits of, of being able to have more varieties that you can introduce into the marketplace uh, with growing our South America uh, Stein brand and the U.S. Stein brand is uh, always number one on our agenda to do as much as we can to get more varieties placed. And will you go back down there again for harvest? Yeah, my uh, next trip will be about the third week of February. So that'll be tip of the iceberg for the harvest. So it's very exciting when you go to South America for what you looked at. You know, I walk the fields spring and fall almost daily looking at all the new stuff that we create and then the selections that we made to see them in, in South America, what we selected on the stability of the new products. It's, uh, it's exciting to see the advancements of, of brand new material. You sound like a proud parent there. So it's uh, it, it's always good to uh, see that uh, it's 
it's successful. So you've been working at this a long time. You've worked on soybean research. I guess as we close up here today, Rodney, curious, you know, how do you describe to people what it is you do every day? Well, you know, I you know I manage all parts of the research operation that that we have in place, and and our entity is is unique. You know, we are. A very large research entity, and there's and there's other pieces to the puzzle with with our farm operation and stuff that we got going on here. Some, you know, we always having a little bit of input in in other parts of uh, of our operation, but uh, you know, observing projects, you know, all the way through the season, and the logistics, making sure everything is uh, ready to be planted, finding all the locations that we're going to be planting, making sure that. We're ready to go uh, come springtime. Well, and, and for us on the sales side, you know, I always have to thank you because you've always been so good with your time. So many of our customers and many of our sales reps who've been to the Stein Farm at some point have probably heard you speak about the Soybean Research Program because you're always good about sharing your time in, on any of our tours that we have. And uh, so we, we really value that and appreciate the help. So appreciate you having having you on the Seacast today, Rodney, talking about South America research because again, that's been such a big part of where we've uh, continued to grow in our program. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and 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 the story of Stein Research in South America. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me here today. Well, that's our time for today. I want to thank our guests and our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stein Seacast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. And to never miss an episode, subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield.